0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning grateful for the reality and truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the victory that was won that we've celebrated. We're thankful for the way It amplifies and declares the reality of the salvation that he brought by his death on the cross. We're thankful for what it says of you, a God who does not give up on his people or this world, but has moved mightily on its behalf and our behalf for the sake of redemption and for a glorious future. So this morning we come first and foremost to give you praise, God Most High, for what the resurrection says about who you are and what you have done. And we ask now, as we turn to your word, that you would come and by your spirit you would speak to us. That you would bring the reality of the resurrection to bear upon our hearts and our minds and our lives. That your spirit, in the same way, breathed breath into the body of Jesus 2,000 years ago, would come and breathe new life into this space and into our hearts that would awaken those of us that are dead, that it would rouse those of us that have fallen asleep, that would stir those of us that maybe have not been walking in the way that we should. Would you come and would you move? Do not let a single one of us come before your word without being moved by your spirit, I ask. So we invite you to do your work now for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his mighty name. Amen. Why is the resurrection so essential? We've been in a series together as a church, if you're new or joining us, called Essentials, where we've been looking at kind of the central main tenets of what we believe as Christians. We've been using an old creed from the earlier days of the church that kind of gives a summary of the essentials of Christian teaching called the Apostles' Creed. It's really a summary of the teachings of Scripture that helps us to kind of hold on to what is central to what we're all about. And today, we come to the truth and reality of the resurrection, what we read at the very beginning of our services, that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. It's an essential truth that we proclaim. It's why we gather this morning to celebrate. But why? Why is the resurrection so essential? Now, there's kind of two ways you can approach answering that question. One answer I've been preparing all week to give you, which is essentially to help you see why the resurrection is the bedrock of Christianity. Why all the other tenets, from the forgiveness of sins to the virgin birth to Jesus' death on the cross, hinge and are based upon the foundation of the resurrection, which really brings and amplifies all the other ones. To look and see, man, how important this is. To hopefully show you why you can trust in the historical truth of the resurrection. Why this claim is so important, not only for us, but for the world. When I was all ready to, let's talk about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that why we're here? And then Saturday came for me. And Saturday morning, I woke up with a sadness in my heart that I could not shake. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling before. Like where it just seemed like no matter what you did, you just couldn't get rid of it. No matter who I talked to, no matter how much I watched my son win game after game at his basketball tournament, it just felt like sadness kind of clung to my bones and I couldn't get rid of it. My wife texted me last night as she had sent me on an errand to run to the store to grab some last-minute Easter things for our family. And she noticed that I was a little off my game, as wives do. She's pretty intuitive. She was like, hey, what do you need? You okay? I just texted her back. I think I need to just run away and come back on Monday morning. (laughs) Now, I don't know about if you know this or not, but Easter Sunday is kind of a big deal for pastors. Pastors. It's like the high point of the year, right? I mean, I always used to say, if you can't preach the resurrection, what are you doing in this job? But all I knew is last night, I didn't feel very resurrection-y. Like I'd seen all the memes over the course of the weekend that pop up on social media. Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. And all the things that point to us, look at how awesome this is. And in my soul, I was like, I know, but I'm not feeling that right now. And yet, this expectation hung over. You got to show up. You got to put the mask on. Nobody cares about your problems. This is a celebration. Celebration. And what I realized in that moment is that I think actually that's how most of us feel when it comes to Easter Sunday. There's something about this Sunday, of all the Sundays that feel like when we're struggling with darkness or sadness or grief or sorrow or wounds or pain, that those somehow should get left at the door and the only thing you can bring into this space is a happy, joyful face in a joyful spirit. We wake up on Sunday morning and we put on clothes that are a little bit different than we wear most Sundays, well, at least for some of us. I honestly almost thought about showing up in just jeans and a hoodie so my outsides would match my insides, but my wife asked for a family picture this morning and I figured that probably wouldn't be appropriate. But externally, we feel the pressure all of us feel internally which is that Easter is where we leave what we struggle with behind and we only focus on the positive. And that's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be as a pastor and it's a hard place to be for you. And yet we feel it. But I think when we actually let ourselves feel it for a minute, when maybe we take the mask off maybe we're just willing to acknowledge that all of us have places of darkness and pain and hurt and wounds that actually sting, it forces us to ask the question, why is the resurrection so important in a different way? Because it moves that question from the head to the heart. It causes us to say, let's not think about the resurrection just in terms of its philosophical truth and reality. I certainly could wax eloquently on that reality for quite a while. It causes us to say, what does the resurrection mean for me? What does it have to do with the place I'm at? That's the question I wanna ask this morning. Why is the resurrection so important? Because if it isn't important for me in this moment, then it's probably not important for all the other parts of my life either. But I think it is important. And I want just for a few minutes maybe to preach to my own heart this morning, if that's okay, don't worry, I'm not turning this into my group therapy session. But to look at Scripture from the place of the ache of pain and hear afresh why the resurrection is important for that. Paul's wrestling with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. He's writing to the church in Corinth, one of the major cities in the Roman Empire found in Greece. And Paul's essentially said that Jesus's resurrection is central to their faith. In fact, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. But as he's wrestling when helping the Corinthians, reminding them of the truth of the resurrection, he also knows there's some skepticism around in that church. Some people have been saying, Well, no, people don't really rise from the dead. We know that, right? That's pretty obvious. Every person up until this point that's died hasn't come back. And Paul essentially begins in 1 Corinthians 15 to kind of defend the truth and the centrality and the reality of the resurrection, why it's so important. And there's a ton in this passage that we could unpack. But just for a moment, I want to look at a few verses where Paul kind of highlights and emphasizes the importance of the resurrection and help you see why it's important for you and me today. Paul says this in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul essentially says in this, before we kind of jump into what we're going to unpack just to set it up, is he essentially is saying, if the resurrection isn't true, then, then all we have in Christ is hope for, for now, for here and now. And if that's the case, that doesn't seem like it's that great of a story. Like, if the only hope of Christianity is that it just kind of makes our lives a little bit better now, that just doesn't seem like it's probably the best thing. We can find all sorts of things that kind of make our lives a little bit better, can't we? We can look in all sorts of places. We can mask the pain of this life with all sorts of drugs or addictions or work or money or whatever we want to enjoy. If the message of Christianity is just one message among a bunch of try this and your life will be a little bit better, it doesn't seem like it's really worth that much, does it? I mean, can we just all be honest for a moment? And I don't know we don't say this in church that often, but just don't be too offended, please. Life just kind of sucks. Like, we have some good moments, but we also have a lot of bad ones. And if the message of the gospel just kind of comes along and says, hey, this can just kind of help make your life a little bit better. Like it can kind of just put a band-aid on a massive wound. Is it really worth that much? I mean, Paul essentially says, no, it's not. If that's the case, we should be most to be putty because we're putting our hope in something that really doesn't matter. There's probably better things you could try out there instead of showing up, giving your money away, serving at the church. Given your time, energy, all that. So why does it matter then? Because he wants you to see that the resurrection means there's something more than just this life that Christianity has to speak about. And he's going to give you three things, I think, in this text to help you see why it matters more than anything else in this world. So he goes on in verse 20 and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So he's asserting asserting to them here, no, actually, Jesus has been raised. The very phrase that he uses because he's unpacked of Jesus hasn't been raised is essentially to say, no, he has in fact been raised. And again, I would say there's historical good evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. That's not my point today, but there are certainly a bunch of resources out there that if you're kind of looking and digging and exploring the Christian faith, man, go and read. Gary Habermas has a great book, Risen Indeed, the Investigation of the Resurrection. Find that, read a resource. What I want you to see is Paul assumes the truth of the resurrection. So that's what I'm going to do today. And then he wants to draw on that for them to see why that's important for their lives. So he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then he says this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has, al- has come also the resurrection of the dead. For if as an Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. So the first thing Paul wants to see of why the resurrection matters for your life, why it matters in the moments of grief and sorrow and hardship and pain, is because if Jesus has been raised, then if I am in him, I too will be raised. That what is true of him, when I am in him, will become true of me. And he uses two images for that. First, he uses the images of first fruits. He says, Jesus is the first fruits. And Paul's drawing on the imagery of the feast of first fruits or the feast of the harvest in the Old Testament, which is found in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23. And in that feast, the people would gather the first fruits of the harvest. Remember, they were an agricultural people. The ancient Jews, they didn't have grocery stores. They didn't just like go over and pick out whatever they wanted. They were sustained and dependent on the land and on growing their harvest. But what God had instructed his people to do was when the harvest came was to gather the first of it, the initial of it, and bring it as an offering of thankfulness to him in anticipation of the larger blessing of the harvest that he was going to bring for the nation and the people. So Paul draws on that image essentially to say, Jesus has been raised. He's the first fruits. He's the first work that God is doing in bringing his harvest to come of bringing salvation and resurrection and redemption. And because of that, you can anticipate that there is a fuller harvest, a greater resurrection that will, to come, will come, that Jesus is the sign of that. So he uses first fruits as this image to say, hey, you, the reason that the resurrection matters is what's true of Jesus will become true of you. And the second image then he uses is of Adam, the reality. That Adam, our first father, the first human being whom God had created and placed in the garden, who had given him his word to follow, that he would live under his rule and reign, that by Adam and ultimately his turning from God's plan and rebelling against God, all of humanity experienced death. So what he wants to say is from Adam, from the very beginning, because of his choice, death reigned over humanity. I mean, that's true. You don't have to look very far to to see that, right? That everyone experiences death. No one escapes it. All of us face it at some point. And yet all of us have an intrinsic feeling like we're meant for more than what death has to offer. He says, just like by a man came death, so by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul's drawing on the image of representation here. He's essentially saying, listen, all of humanity has been under Adam. Adam has been our representative. What, if true of him, is true of you. But Jesus has now come because he has been risen from the dead, because he's conquered death. When you trust in him, what is now true of him becomes true of you. Therefore, his resurrection... Can be and will be your resurrection one day. Maybe you could say it this way that if you're in Jesus, his destiny now becomes your destiny. Before you were destined for death, but now you are destined for life and resurrection. This is what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus that you have a new destiny. We all know what it looks like to be represented, for somebody to represent us. They stand in our place, and we all long for good representation, whether it's politically or culturally or even in our sports franchises. And so to be represented is to have somebody stand in your place and what is true of them to then be marked true of you. I jokingly told you in the fall that I switched my fandom from being a Cleveland Browns fan to being a Lions fan. Because at some point I just realized the Browns are always going to lead me to death. I'm not sure the Lions are going to lead me to any more life, but I figure at least maybe I'll give it a shot because the past 35 years haven't worked. But your hope is that their victory becomes your victory. That who they are becomes true of you. And what Paul essentially says is humanity has two representatives it's either Adam or it's Jesus. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, what you can know is that what is true because he is risen from the dead will be true of you. You have new representation, which means you have a different destiny. And that can matter when life feels pretty overwhelming. The second thing, then, that Paul wants you to see is not only because if Jesus is raised, then you'll be raised. What he also wants you to see is that because if Jesus is raised, then death isn't the end, it doesn't get the last word. Look what he says in verse 23 But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. So there he uses that word again. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So Paul essentially says there's a plan in place. So notice your place in the plan. Christ is the first fruits in his resurrection. Then there will be a time where those who are in him will be raised. They will experience what he experienced. Then will come the end when God will put all his enemies, verse twenty. Five, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So what Paul wants you to see is because of the truth of the resurrection, death, which is the great enemy of humanity, doesn't get the last word. And in fact, there's actually going to be a day coming where death is put to death, where it is ended. Ended. And that the resurrection is the sign that that is now taking place. That God's overturning and defeat of death, which will come at the end of all things, has been brought forward in Jesus into the present to announce that God is in fact putting an end to everything that stands against him. The sin that plagues his world, the spiritual forces of darkness which come against us and creation, and even death, that great enemy itself, will be ended. But Jesus has been risen to show us. He's the first fruits. He's the signpost now of the victory that is going to come. Maybe you can think of it like this. Um, Remember, in Paul's day, they didn't have insta-communication. When things happened, it wasn't like instantly on their cell phones in a second. And so what would often happen in Paul's day when kings or cities or nations would go off to battle their enemies is that the city would wait in anticipation for the news back of what was happening in the battle because you didn't know. There was no TV set that you turned on and said, oh, let me see the nightly highlights of the war. You waited for someone to bring you news back. And oftentimes, when a victory was at hand, kings would dispatch people to travel back to the city to announce their victory. This is actually one of the root words for our word, or root realities for the word gospel that we find in the New Testament. It was good tidings brought back to a city, often a victory in war. It's where our modern tradition of the marathon comes from. From the man who ran 26 miles back to Athens to announce the victory. So this was common in Paul's day. What Paul is trying to give you an image of, or maybe a good way to understand it, is Jesus' resurrection is the news from the battle's victory being brought back for you to hear. That his resurrection comes back and announces, hey, God's putting an end to all this. All this sin, all the powers of darkness that reign over humanity, God is now bringing an end to this in the work and person of Jesus Christ. He's defeating his enemies. You see, the reality is all of us feel the sting and the power of darkness that rules over our lives. And we all feel helpless to do anything about it. Again, I don't think you have to look very far at the world to see this reality. 5,000 years of human progress And technology, and we're still riddled with injustice, inequality, unrighteousness. We can go to the moon, we can't even figure out how to heal our nations. And we feel the spiritual darkness in our soul sometimes that says, man, it sure feels like death is winning. But what Paul wants you to know is that it's not. That Jesus' resurrection is an announcement that death isn't the last word. You see, when you're in the throes of grief and loss and death, do you know what you feel the worst of in your heart? Fear. Because often when you're in that moment, the enemy of your soul loves to come along and say, This is your destiny. This is what you're prone for forever. This pain that you feel, you'll never heal from that. This wound that you carry, you're always going to have it. Fear is a false prophet that speaks death into our present circumstances. It comes into our soul and it tries to say, the end for you is this this pain. But what Paul wants to say is the resurrection is actually the true prophet. It comes in and says, death isn't the end. That whatever pain you're in now is not what is to come. What is to come is the time when God defeats all of his enemies, when God puts all of this to rest, and when God brings all things into reconciliation with himself. You see, the reason the resurrection matters for your heart now, why it matters for my heart now, is because it announces to us the truth of what actually is to come. It empowers us to walk away from fear and into life. It allows us to not be enslaved under the powers of darkness that want to hold us back from the destiny that God has for us in his future kingdom wants to announce freedom to those of us that feel under the bondage of sin and death. That's why it matters. It gives you a different word when you're in the season where you're struggling to find hope. And not only does it give you a word, resurrection reminds you of what your glorious end in Jesus will be. Look at twenty-seven. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, ex- accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Okay, that's a lot of words. Let me try to break it down. There's one key word in here, subjection. What Paul's essentially saying is, listen, God is moving now on behalf of Christ to bring all things under subjection, under his rule and reign. That's actually what the ascension of Jesus is about. Jesus ascends from his place of victory to the place of heaven, essentially to bring all spiritual forces under subjection to him. He will return to the earth to bring the earth under his subjection in his kingdom. And then when that is end, he will turn all of that back over to God. Not because he's lesser than God, but because the mission has been completed. And now all things are brought under the rule and reign of God. And Paul says, and at that point, what's the goal of all that? God will be all in all. See, the truth is that Paul wants you to see that because of the resurrection of Jesus, your hope in life is that one day you will fully get God in all he is. Because that's what your heart's designed for. You know that longing and ache that you feel in the dark of the night? In the moments of emptiness? In the times where pain and grief feel the strongest? That's a longing for the Lord. Because you were created for a life in him. A life of flourishing and fullness. What the Hebrew Bible would call shalom. And what Paul wants you to see is, because of the resurrection, because the way through the resurrection, God is bringing all things under subjection to Jesus, and one day through that will bring all things subjection under himself, then you will get God in in his fullness. You will enjoy relationship with him forever. The glorious hope to come in the new heaven and the new earth is that God now becomes the center of everything. And that's how the world was designed and meant to be. Friends, your hope this morning is that because of Jesus' resurrection, that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what pain you experience now, no matter what suffering you go through, no matter what grief you experience, no matter even you reach the moment of death, you can have hope that one day, because of the work of Jesus Christ, you will be raised to new life and you will enjoy God forever. Your heart will be fully satisfied. That is the hope of the resurrection. Why is Jesus' resurrection so important? Because it matters and speaks life. And light into our darkness. I love the way the Gospel of John begins his account of the resurrection in John 20. You don't have to turn there, just listen for a moment, and I'll kind of close with this. John 21 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You See, Jesus' resurrection took place in the midst of darkness and overcame it. So that way you can know in your moments of darkness, in your moments where you wake up on a Saturday morning and you're not sure if you can get out of bed that day, that that day isn't the end of your story that that darkness doesn't get the victory. But Jesus has been raised to bring a light that overcomes your darkness so that you can have hope. So I don't know what you carry into the day. I don't know what you carry into this morning. I love Sarah's words earlier. Some of us probably come in like I do, crying, Hosanna, help me some of us come in celebrating saying he has either way what we gather to do today is to point to the truth of a God whose light overcomes darkness whose resurrection overcomes death and who at the end is working in the throes of our lives to bring us to a glorious future that's why resurrection matters let me pray for us Heavenly Father, just stand in this moment, overwhelmed, truly God, that this is what you have done for us. Death is your sting. It's gone, removed, Lord, by your hand. And I'm thankful that in the moments where we feel and turn back to that sting, you have a word for us to remind us that death doesn't get that final word. And that just as Jesus overcame the grave, so we will in him overcome it as well. So, Lord, I just want to pray. I mean, from my heart and even for just wounded hearts this morning, that you would come right now in this moment and by your spirit speak the truth and the power of the resurrection into our souls. That you would help us lean in, feel a sense of what you're doing, pray that light would flood into the places of our dark hearts and remind us of what Christ has done. So God, I'd even just give you these next few moments while we sing. I just ask that you would just come and minister right now, that even these words as we celebrate the glorious day of your resurrection, that it would remind us of the glorious day that is to come for our resurrection as well. That we get a taste of that in our hearts when we put our faith in you, Lord, but there's also a day coming and there will be no more tears, where death will be no more, and we, where we will enjoy you forever. Would you give us just a taste of that right now, while we sing? Just invite you to move. And ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.